0: Drafting Archetypes is brought to you by Game Grid Lehigh. Game Grid Lehigh is an amazing place to buy and sell Magic the Gathering singles. Whether you're building a new cube or crafting your new constructed deck, Game Grid Lehigh is the place to do it. Got a draft coming up with some friends? Buy some seal product here and get it quick. So click the referral link in the description to help out the show. And don't forget to use the code DRAFTPRO10 to get 10% off on your next order at gglehigh.com. Hi, everyone. This is Sam Black with Drafting Archetypes, and today we're going to go over the impact that the alchemy changes uh, have had on historic alchemy Baldur's Gate. Last week, talked about what I expected to see uh, before these changes were live, and now that we've been playing with them for almost a week, uh, I want to take a look at the impact that they've had both the uh, as represented on 17 lands in the format at large, as well as uh, my own experiences, and just talk about uh, how that's compared to my expectations and how it affected the format as a whole. So big picture, how did it change the format? It was extremely successful, is kind of the top level story here. Like uh, the colors are much more balanced as uh Evidenced in several ways, the best performing archetype is, uh, among two color pairs, is uh, Simic, which is blue-green, followed by Boros, which is red-white, followed by Golgari, which is green-black. So four of the five colors, as diverse as possible, in the top two archetypes, and the third color in the third top archetype, so all five colors represented in the top three archetypes, is pretty strong evidence that there's no single color that's very far behind. Further, the two weakest archetypes, Gruel and Demir, cover four different colors. So we see a diversity of colors appearing both among the best and worst performing archetypes, which again, very strong sign for color balance. Digging a little bit deeper, looking at the uh, twenty most recently earned trophies as of about an hour ago, um, at the time of recording this. Uh, the color distribution among decks that earned those trophies, uh, nine of those decks played white as a base color, three additional splashed white, six played blue, two additional splashed it, eight played black, one additional splashed it, seven played red, two additional splashed it, and 11 played green with one additional splashing it. So no color was twice as represented as any other color, Uh, the bottom being blue with 6 plus 2 and the top being green with 11 plus 1. If easier for anyone, a reminder just a little bit late here, uh, notes for this episode are available on uh, Patreon, patreon.com slash draftingarchetypes, if you want to follow along as I'm going over this. I know it can be hard to follow when I'm just rattling off 10 different numbers, but... The, the point is that while there is certainly a difference, uh, green and white noticeably more represented than the other colors, uh, I think that this level of balance is unusual. So we went from a format that I would argue was particularly imbalanced to a format that is particularly balanced, which I think is very impressive for uh, like one round of changing, you know, less than 30 cards or something, which is some pretty small tweaks. All in all, I have to say, I think it was really well done by uh, whoever was involved in choosing uh, these changes. As for where the format is now, I believe green is the strongest color, uh, as mentioned, um, of the top three archetypes. The top is Simic, and the third is Golgari. Two green decks. Uh, the only color to have um, two uh, different two appearances in the top three archetypes. Uh, also the most present in trophy-winning decks. Also the top-performing common, Druidic Ritual. Incidentally, more on that later. As well as three of the top five commons, five of the top ten commons, and aside from the fact that. It just has a lot of good commons. Um, its top six commons all play really, really well together. Its top six commons, Druidic Ritual, uh, the now buffed, you may mill three cards and then return up to two total creatures and lands from your graveyard to your hand. Currently top performing common, plays really well with Circle of the Land Druid, which is the sixth top performing common, the buffed to two one, you may mill four when it dies Return you're going to land. And then... Uh, the others, underseller, Myconid, Dread Lenorm, Owlbear, and Hill Giant Herdgorger. With Circle the Land Druid and Myconid, you have really good early defense that helps get more mana to cast your really good uh, card advantage, life gain, big creatures with Owlbear, Hill Giant Herdgorger, and Dread Lenorm. And then Druidic Ritual to both make sure you hit your land drops and to recycle your big creatures with Circle of the Land Druid, milling to set up your Druidic Ritual to make sure that it finds your high-impact creatures. That whole package is just really, really, like, your deck can just be, like, basically nothing to those cards and very good. And it, it just kind of covers everything you need in a way that works really well together. And you can really round it out with, like, any other color for largely you're probably looking for interactive spells at that point or just other really good creatures to return. So... I, I think Green is super well positioned in the format now, just just really strong, like not even about like it lines up well against X or Y that's happening in the format, just the stuff it's doing is inherently really good. Uh, yeah, we move from Green kind of being Mike and Id's the whole show to Green being Mike and Id is a very good piece, but like a lot of other good stuff is happening. While I'm talking about Green, I should talk a little bit more about Druidic Ritual So, as I mentioned, currently the single top performing common in the set, but it's still being taken later than ninth pick on average, which is to say it's like routinely tabling, which has been my experience. I've tabled Druidic Ritual several times. That is not how it should be. The best common in the uh, set shouldn't be tabling, which is to say that I think that we're due for an adjustment. Like at some point, people are going to figure this out and there will be a little bit more competition. Um, Part of, I imagine, why Druidic Ritual is performing so well is that decks that revolve around it can plan to get multiples of them, which makes the whole synergy package with the other self mill stronger. And also, when you put it in your deck, you don't have to spend a high pick on it. And so that's going to, like, getting a card cheaply naturally increases its win rate. So I think that once people are fighting for Druidic Rituals a little bit more, uh, its win percentage will naturally decline a little. And I do think that Mike Mike Myconid is a stronger card than Druidic Ritual. And the stats are skewed right now because Druidic Ritual is so undervalued. So I don't actually think it's the best common in the set, even if it's winning the most right now. I don't know if that means that ultimately... The second best common right now, which is Young Blue Dragon or Myconid, is going to be the better common. Looking more at other colors, the Blessed Hippogriff uh, nerf was huge. Adding a single extra colorless mana to the cost of the adventure dropped Blessed Hippogriff to the fifth best performing white common below Flaming Fist, Dusk Guard, and Steadfast Paladin. So kind of the, the two of the three-ish like good common white two drops. So Blast Hippogriff is now very much in the uh, just like solid playable, no longer like top or bomb common cat, uh, category, which again has matched my experience. You can do some good stuff with it. But as I said, uh, as I anticipated last week, it's very hard to use defensively it's much easier to use offensively when you're trading on your turn it's much easier to have the three the two mana up whereas leaving two mana up to hope that you can resolve this trick on your opponent's turn is really tough i've just seen way fewer uh just like big tempo plays off uh the blast unicorn uh the blast hippogriff adventure so really impactful change there similarly the stead- steadfast unicorn change I think, hit harder than I anticipated. Steadfast Unicorn has dropped to the 10th best performing white common, which is uh, into thoroughly mediocre ter- uh, territory. I've still had some decks that I felt like really wanted it, but I-, I was saying you would still like want one or two in most of your white decks. Now I think it's kind of just like sometimes you'll play it, it's whatever. Moving into blue, as anticipated, Dragonborn Looter at one mana is a big deal. It's now the second best performing blue common uh, behind only Young Blue Dragon, though notably behind Young Blue Dragon is very, very good, especially after getting the fourth toughness. Dragonborn Looter, really nice now. You come to a river. This is the card that was changed to be largely similar to up three mana sorcery, put a creature on top or bottom of its owner's library, or you can give a creature plus one, and plus unblockable. Uh, has debatably exceeded my expectations. I talked about how I think this card is not good. It is currently the sixth best performing blue common when looking at game-in-hand win rate. However, it is notable in having the largest negative improvement when drawn of any of the top 14 blue commons. So uh, while people have been winning games where they draw this card, uh, it arguably has been an impediment to that. Things get even weirder, though, uh, when you dive deeper into the stats on You Come to a River, as I did because I wanted to know if my expectations about this card were correct. It, it has a substantially positive improvement when drawn among top players at around plus 4% and substantially negative at around minus 4% among average players. So either... The best players are really good at knowing when to use this removal spell and other players aren't, or uh, as I suspect, this is more about uh, some variance due to small sample sizes. Ultimately, I still feel the same way that I felt about it before, which is it's not a card that I'm looking to put in my deck. Uh, the stats, as far as like what message they send, I would say uh, are complicated. As for Black, Guildsworn Prowler plummeted all the way to ninth best Black Common from uh, like first best. It is notably still ahead of Sepulchre Ghoul or Sepulcher, however you pronounce that word. Notably ahead of the 2 2 that you can sacri- sac a creature to to give plus 2 plus 2. So still a playable 2 drop, but nowhere near the standout that it was. And uh, Manticore was the big winner going up to. Fifth best common, Eyes the Beholder, uh, looks playable, around as good as Guildsworn Prowler, as expected. I don't think the changes to red were very significant. Young Red Dragon is probably very slightly better than it was. It's uh, mediocre, playable. I don't think there's a lot to talk about there. Similarly, there's not really enough data to really process the impact of the changes to the dragon orbs. As far as individual card changes, as indicated by the stats on 17 lands, that's where things stand. As I said, as far as metagame as a whole, I think that the effect was really, really positive in terms of making a balanced format. Going beyond that, as to how the format actually plays, previously it felt like the main factors that determined games were either getting far ahead with aggressive double-team creatures or winning with a powerful bomb. Now, I see very, very, very few games that are determined by early aggressive double-team creatures uh, because the defensive cards got a little bit better, the incentives to play the double-team creatures dropped off, and that just hasn't been what my games have ever been about anymore. And instead... Most of my games have been very grindy. I've had a lot of kind of like mid-range green decks where kind of before I thought just being a good, being a mid-range green deck would mean that I would generally be in a good position if the game has went long. And now my opponent is also often playing a mid-range green deck and you end up in this kind of, you know, like big things running into each other. I've had a bunch of games where just like hill giant herd gorgers and the norms trade back and forth over and over and then get picked up by druidic rituals and played again and they trade more. And then at the end of all of that, someone has like a big creature left and the other one doesn't and they win. The format is way, way, way more grindy and slower and about going over the top of the other person, which has the side effect that the powerful rares are somehow even more impactful. This set has a kind of unique feature that uh, the best cards are basically all rare, not mythic. I think that this might be the set of all time since mythics were first printed in which mythics perform least well relative to rares. And that means that a bunch of the biggest bombs, which are all creatures, show up pretty often. And with the changes to buff the self, mill, and recursion cards, it means that if you have one of these bomb creatures, you're extremely likely to find and cast it in many of your games, most of your games, and if your opponent can deal with it, which often is very difficult, then you will likely be able to cast it again. Amusingly, this is a pretty big thematic win, arguably, for a set that is translating a commander set to arena, um, commander being a format where you get to choose a critical creature that you can always cast and then recast if it dies Um, so we get a limited format where that same effect is present but it uh, arguably plays less well when only one player gets to take advantage of that mechanic and so if one player is playing green and has a bomb and the other player isn't uh, it can lead to some lopsided matches so i think as far as like my one critique of the changes is I think that when you take a format with rares that are so impactful, and you make the games longer, make the aggressive decks weaker, and make the recursion elements stronger, and the like digging stronger, you end up really pushing the format to revolve around those rares. I am someone who is generally a bomb rare apologist. I think that uh, playing with rares is pretty fun. Overcoming rares is pretty fun. And rares have a really good impact on the draft portion, making people draft uh, different archetypes than they normally would because you have a rare that pulls you into a color you wouldn't usually play or whatever. But this format also made splashing easier. So now if I'm typically drafting green decks that are about recurring creatures and I get a bomb rare in some color, it doesn't even change the way that I'm drafting. I just splash that color to recur find and recur that bomb in my green deck that can splash pretty pretty smoothly then that rare ends up defining all of my games and they all end up playing out in very similar ways and so you lose a lot of the novelty that's created by rares so i think that the way that the rares manifest in this format is less fun Than the way that similar rares would manifest in a different in an environment that played differently. And I think that it's exacerbated by the fact that these rares are rares and not mythics. So while I think that the changes did a great job, basically one of the things that I was asked about when I talked about the changes was. What do you think about the fact that they didn't change the hourglass coven or why didn't they change Liz and what I said was that changing a single rare has a very small impact on a limited format relative to changing a common and If they're trying to change the way that the format as a whole plays It makes more sense to change the commons rather than the rares that like, you know it's fine if there are some powerful rares, but the way that the format changed specifically, I think, really did exacerbate the issues with the rares in a way that I don't love. So that would be my biggest critique of the Rebalances, though I think that they did a very good job of, you know, most of what they were trying to do. certainly uh, really shook up how the format plays and what's going on and made it feel very new and different. So big props there. That's what I have to say about this. I'm gonna open it up to chat for questions. So anyone in chat, any questions that you have, regardless of whether you've already asked, just so I know that it's not something I've already addressed and something you're still wondering about, please uh, hit me with those now and then we can talk about that. First question, would you want to see every set rebalanced on Arena? So I talked about this uh, last week, which is that I had Concerns about the idea of rebalancing a set on arena um, when that set exists in paper, uh, because as someone who plays both in paper and on arena, and some in particular someone who makes content that is consumed both by paper players and arena players, I think that it's confusing as a player to keep track of what the cards do when they do different things in paper and on arena, and difficult as a content creator to figure out what my target audience is and who to speak to and what to focus on when a paper product changes on Arena. I like that this set only existed on Arena, so when it changes, it doesn't uh, splinter the audience. But uh, I think that the cost, at least for me, would be very high and very negative if a paper product uh, changed on arena such that it functioned differently in paper and on arena. So while I think that it was, it did make the set more fun and it was fun to have the set shaken up part, part of the way through for me as a content creator, especially, but also as a player, it would be negative if this happened with every set, though it would be positive if this happened with any future alchemy specific, like arena only sets that existed. I guess the, the other, the next question I asked was essentially the same. How would I feel about them rebalancing non alchemy sets in the future? So uh, I, I think that if it were to happen, I would maybe want it to be like a short special event like, hey, here's what we would have done with this in hindsight. Uh, play with it for a week or something. Kind of more like a cube type presentation rather than a. Moving forward, this is what this is on Arena, which has all the problems that I talked about in terms of causing confusion with paper players and uh, fracturing the audience. No, the sample size is small, but it's funny to see the new druidic ritual with bigger improvement in best of one rather than best of three. Thoughts on why? I agree that that's weird because in general grindy cards are better in best of three my best guess as to why is that as i understand it best of three usually updates faster than best of one i think that like while my experience as a player in best of three is that i play against weaker opponents than best of one because of ranked matchmaking not existing in best of three uh because i'm playing at mythic or higher ranks in best of one, but not in best of three. I think the average player at a table in best of three is likely slightly stronger. And so they take the cards get taken at a more appropriate level. I haven't looked at the average taken on Druidic Ritual in best of three, but my guess, knowing that it uh, performs slightly worse there, would be that it's taken a little bit more highly. And As I said, I expect its uh, performance to drop off once players adjust and take it more highly. So I think that that's uh, what's going on there is just that people have to compete for it a little bit more and that drops its win percentage. The stats could easily disprove that, but that's my guess. When should we splash Dritic Ritual? Good question. Not something I've really considered. Uh, I've just been playing green when it's come up that I could. I think... You definitely don't want to splash Dridic Ritual if you're an aggressive deck, but if you are somewhere in the Esper colors and a little bit more grindy and you have uh, either some like good treasure making in black or good scrying and card draw in blue or like multiple pilgrim's eyes such that you can splash easily, or if you're splashing green anyway for some kind of rare, then I think it would make sense to splash Dridic Ritual. So if it's easy and you are like a controlling or attrition type deck, not an aggressive deck, um, would be when I would consider splashing Dridic Ritual. Follow up with rebalancing paper limited sets. Does my answer change if the rebalance targets old sets that aren't currently drafted in paper? So if we're talking about like, we're going to put a flashback set on Arena, but we're going to rebalance it. That's an interesting question. So if it's like, hey, here's Midnight Hunt, but we made the five mana zombie that makes two decayed zombies and exile two things in the graveyard. Now it only makes one decayed zombie uh, and Oregon Hoarder now only looks at two cards and is a 2-2 or whatever. I think there are major costs and benefits to that. Uh, you lose out on all of the nostalgia, which is a lot of the draw for a lot of people with flashback drafts. But you gain an easy way to present a new format, and it's one that like also presents interestingly to people who are looking for that nostalgia. In that it, you get to say, "Hey, here's you know alternate timeline, how the set would have looked." Uh, if we could have made it knowing exactly how it would have played, which is like a pretty interesting sales pitch. I personally have not been playing flashback drafts on arena. I usually play the format a lot when it's a lot when it's around the first time, and I'm usually more interested in figuring out the current thing than revisiting something that I'm kind of done with., uh, so for me, if it were, Hey, here's a brand new thing. It's very similar to this old thing, but it's going to play pretty differently because we made some Im- changes that we know are going to be impactful. Uh, see how this would have played with like some, you know, additional knowledge. Uh, that, that would appeal to me. I, th- I think that, yeah, Donald, um, uh, this question was asked uh, by Donald Smith, who is a designer at Wizards who uh, worked on these changes. Um, so presumably this is um, some a, a good channel for providing some feedback here. Yeah, I, I think that for me as a player, uh, rebalanced flashback drafts sound like a very appealing way to explore... Uh, rebalances to other sets. Next question, has Watsi ever shown any signs that rebalanced cards could be printed in paper? I am aware of no public indication of such. It's really, really, really hard to do because you need to communicate that the old version of a card is no longer legal and the new version is, if that's what you're trying to communicate, which has the same effect as banning a card and adds a lot of confusion to the world, it's hard to find an advantage to doing that rather than just printing a similar card post-rotation when the card's kind of gone anyway. Companions cited as a counter-argument, I would say that that's not printing a rebalanced card. That's arguably a power level errata that was presented as a rules change, though the rules change doesn't really line up with the printed words on the card anymore. Next up, what has been my favorite of the rebalance changes? It's a little bit weird to, uh, isolate the challenges since the, or the changes, since the changes all kind of take place in the context of all the other changes and kind of inform each other, like, uh, circle of the land druid and druidic ritual, uh, changing, Um, both changed both each other as well as uh, split the spoils. That said, uh, if I had to choose a single favorite, I think it would be the change to Dragonborn Looter. I think the one-mana Looter is just a really cool card. Do cards being rebalanced mean WotC made a mistake designing them in the first place? Uh, Designing cards happens on a timeline, and... Wizards is always doing the best job they can to create a format in the amount of time that they have to do it. Uh, There is always more work to be done. A set is never finished. Arguably, no piece of art is ever finished. You just stop and decide that it's ready to present at some point. And uh, magic sets are emphatically that way. Yes, any set probably could have been improved, made more balanced, more fun, with more testing in some capacity indefinitely. Does discontinuing work and publishing a piece of art at some point uh, indicate that a mistake was made if that thing isn't perfect? I would say no, but I guess it depends on your definition of a mistake. There is something imperfect that could be improved upon, but at a certain point, the world is better if you just present the thing rather than if you keep tweaking it and never present it. Um, And I think that that applies equally to this set, any other set, and literally any any piece of art you might ever consume in any medium. All right, looks like we'll wrap that up there. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. Next week, we'll be talking about something. I didn't know to anticipate uh, these last two episodes until the day before they happened. I'm not exactly sure what I'll be focusing on next week. It could be just some archetype from this rebalanced format. I'm not sure yet. I'll figure that out i'd say as soon as possible but i don't really mean that i'll figure it out sometime before uh next week but uh, i'll be back uh, a week from now for another episode uh thanks and have a good week